This is a City of Crestview podcast. Welcome to Season 2 of Civic View. My name is Chance Levins and I'm your digital media specialist here at the City of Crestview. The goal of Civic View is to keep our citizens informed and entertained while maintaining a sense of transparency between you and your local government. And here at City Hall and all across the city, we value that communication as well as civic engagement, and we hope this podcast will continue to be a source of both. So let's get started. Bonjour, Crestview. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Civic View. Uh, This week's episode is going to be... um, well, it's going to be about France in a way. It's not going to be in French because I can't remember enough French from high school to get through the whole thing in French, and you probably wouldn't want to listen to it that way anyways. But uh, actually, we're going to talk about our sister city program, which is a city in France. And to do that, I have with me today I, our public information officer, Brian Hughes. Brian, thank you for joining me. My pleasure. Glad to be here. And it's a fun subject to talk about. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, you know, give us a little break from the civics that we're always speaking about. I mean, it's still civics in a way, but so, um, uh, roughly 25, a little over 25 years ago, uh, there was a program established between Crestview and a city in France. And we call that our sister city program. Is that correct? That is correct. It's sanctioned by sister cities international, which was one of two citizen diplomacy programs that president Eisenhower started. And this started in 1956. And the whole purpose of citizen diplomacy was president Eisenhower pointed out that just about 11 years years before that, there had been this horrible, horrific world war. And the real diplomats had kind of let everybody down. And he said, okay, let's just try sending common people over to meet their counterparts. And it's been tremendously successful. And two programs came out of it, one of which is people to people. And uh, we've had students from Crestview uh, go to people to people exchanges, which are about a month long. And they do all kinds of cool stuff. And then Sister Cities International is the other one. And it's essentially a, it's a dating company, except instead of matching people, it matches communities. And that's how Crestview got involved with it. Uh, Crestview was looking for a sister city, probably in France. And meanwhile, the community of Noirmoutier was looking for a sister city in the U.S. and preferably something comparable to, you know, the kind of lifestyle that they had. And uh, and we met, and uh, it it's been very beneficial for both communities ever since. Yeah, I when I was in high school, I took French because you know why not? Right, Spanish probably would have been useful, but <laughs> I heard all the girls were in French class, right? Uh, okay, <laughs> that's a bad joke. Sorry. Um, no, uh, I took French in high school, and we we learned about the Sister City program. They actually came uh, to visit at one point and spoke to our uh, class. And um, so I know a little bit about, uh, I'm going to butcher this, but Noir Moutier. Very that, good. Okay. Well, yeah. You know, I did take French for two years. Uh, yeah. no. um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I know they're an island. Um, are, they, are they an island in the Atlantic? Yes. Okay. And they harvest salt there. I do remember I've the, the first photos we saw because I, I was young, you know, and didn't know a lot about how we got salt. I mean, I assumed we made it somehow, but I remember seeing the the pools that they use where they harvest the salt, 
and just big mountains of salt. And then these people were out there with what kind of looked like squeegees. That's probably that, that. That's actually a very apt description. Okay. And, yeah. <laughs> and they were, you know, they're like, they're like, I guess they, they put out these pools and then they let the water evaporate, I'm guessing. And then they kind of like scoop up the it, salt. It's, it's a real cool process. And uh, we're very fortunate that our counterparts over in Noirmoutier are buddies with a, a, har- a family that has been harvesting salt since the grandfather got there. And they have 70 some of these pools. And it's, uh, I, I, I got to... D- actually got to harvest salt with them one day, the last trip we were over there in 2019. And one of the sons spent the day with me and just explained the process, which was real fascinating. But it's actual seawater out of the Atlantic is fed through a fascinating canal system, uh, comes in, it floods the central part of the island, which is a protected zone. And each salt harvesting family or combo company has um, a feed from this canal and the water circulates around an outer canal about eight or nine times or so until the salinity increases just tremendously through a combination of more salt coming in and that evaporating and only then is it allowed into the pools and the pools are only about seven centimeters deep you know less than two inches and that way you uh, with a combination of a good steady offshore breeze all summer long and the sunshine which are the two main ingredients uh, every morning you can go out and you'll see salt has crystallized on the top and the heavier salt has bonded and sunk to the bottom. And there's actually a chemical difference between the light salt, which they call the fleur de sel, which is the flower of the salt. And um, they say it has a slight lilac scent. And to demonstrate, they allowed me to stick my nose in a wheelbarrow full of this stuff. And I'm saying, yeah, I wonder how many other people have done this. Yeah. But, uh, or were they just like, let's see if we can get this American guy to stick yeah, his nose yeah, in this barrel yeah. of salt. And the other, they, they, they call it the gloss cell, which just means big salt. And it sinks to the bottom and they scrape it up off the bottom. And part of that scraping increases the magnesium content in the salt. Which So that's why they say it has so, a chemical So bit. is this... So is the salt that they harvest there, is it more like an industrialized salt or is it like salt that's used for cooking? Oh, or? it's it's for human consumption. Okay. And um, it's fun if you visit this. They have a, uh, a, it's kind of a salt cooperative, they call it. And a lot of the salt harvesters belong to this. Now, this family that helps us at the uh, Bon... Or something like that. Um, it's the Pettigoff family. I can I can tell you the family name. I can't pronounce their their farm, but they're independent. So if you go to their stand uh, by the side of the road, and they're fortunately situated right on the main drag into Noirmoutier, and you buy their salt, all the money stays in the family. If you go to one of the cooperative members, a lot of the money goes out off the island. And that's kind of been a sore spot because the cooperative got bought out by a company in the south of France. But anyway, um, the fine salt is the the really good stuff, and that's the stuff you sprinkle on your eggs and you can then use the ghost cell, the fat salt in cooking but there it's just a whole industry around this very high grade salt and yeah it sounds that way it's yeah. like hipster salt or something yeah yeah yeah, yeah yeah but i mean all of us when we come back from france our luggage is just <laughs> bulging <salt>. with salt <laughs> and then we all get together and we share our custom stories because you know 
bags of a white. A lot of fine white powder. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And so depending on your age, your white powder is more apt to be tested. In customs. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, so we, I do, I just have to joke one thing. You, you mentioned something about a, a, a note of contention within the community. I'm like, what's well, a, they couldn't be a sister city of Crestview if there wasn't some kind of contention. In the community. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. So I actually didn't know that, that the sister city program was a, a new, I knew it was a national program. I didn't know how old it had been around or why it had come about. Yeah. And that's actually pretty interesting. I mean, it, it I mean it's a very, real smart way to kind of help make that connection between the U.S. and France after that war is to help people yeah. build the connections. Uh, because really, I mean, anytime, I'm just going to go a little off topic, but anytime you're talking about going into a place and trying to understand their culture, sharing culture in, in looking at people as human beings is always really important. Yeah. And that is something our program is all about. It's this interaction between us and our French friends. So when we go over there, uh, nobody stays in a hotel. You always stay with a host family and whatever they have for breakfast, you have for breakfast. And <laughs> yeah, actually French breakfasts are great though. I think they get monotonous after a bit, but I mean, I look forward to it. So I'm perfectly willing to have brioche and local butter and your host, uh, mom, host, sister, whatever you want to call her. Um, they all put up their own preserves and jellies and everything. Oh, nice. So you have a nice selection of wonderful stuff. And um, of course, we when they come over here, we go to Good Things Donuts, yeah. and, they, and they don't know what to make of this yeah, lump of dough with sugar on it. <laughs> yeah, I, I imagine it's, I imagine there's a much more directional culture shock for the French people when they come here and get and yeah. have to deal with Americanized food than it is for us to go over there yeah. because in America we're like oh we'll go to the french restaurant if we want french food or the german restaurant if we want german food and yeah uh do they do the um the siesta style like lunch you know like where they not necessarily you know i'm not going to take away from the spanish over there in the actual country spain but i know when we were learning about france in school they told us that they often would shut down for like two or three hours during the middle of the day um, for lunch and kind of just eat and be with their families before they came back and then worked later into like seven as opposed to five, I think was roughly the way the, it was explained. They don't do that in the section of France where our sister city is. Okay. Um, some of them will close down at lunchtime, some of the shops, but um, Noirmoutier is a big tourist attraction, uh, um, big tourist destination, uh, primarily for other French. So, for example, last year when they started doing the lockdown, all these people from Paris and other cities flocked to Noirmoutier because if they're going to be locked down they might as well be in this island paradise uh, right. <laughs> and and that definitely caused problems because until they arrived there was no problem with COVID-19 and they brought it with them and not only did they denude the supermarket shelves of toilet paper and pasta and I don't understand the pasta but toilet paper I can see but people started getting sick who hadn't been sick before because all these fan the folks came in and they thought well you know we're kind of on vacation we don't have to lock down so they're walking on the beaches and bicycling around the shops whereas everybody else who lives on the island shut down so um but typically they do not close for lunch since it is tourist oriented um, some of the smaller places do i suspect sometimes because you'll see a sign that say i'll be back at 1300 hours or whatever and, uh, yeah but 
they don't have the siesta tradition there. Nope. They're they're going strong all day. Okay. Yeah, they're they're an industrial island. <laughs> yeah, kind of industrious, maybe. Industrious, maybe, maybe yeah. not industrial. Because they're doing salt, not producing. Well, they, you know, they actually do have else. industry on the island. Oh. Um, they have a traditional boat building and boat repair um several studios that do that and it, it's kind of fun to stand in there and see these big massive boats hauled out of the water and being repaired in the same traditional ways they were built a hundred years ago and they also have modern shipyards there uh one modern shipyard anyway it's um Beneteau, I think is the name of it. And they are a worldwide manufacturer. And we actually got to go in and stand on the construction scaffolding and look down at probably close to $6 million worth of boat around us in various stages of being constructed. So it's both modern and traditional. That's cool. Um, you you mentioned that, that the way the program works, they try to connect cities um, that are closer in values and, um, and that's one of them, but it's dependent on the cities, uh, what they're hunting for. And the people who founded the Crestview sister city program were interested. Uh, there were some French people involved and they thought having a French connection would be cool. Um, down at the south end of the county, I think it was Destin, somebody was working on getting a sister city relationship with Sweden. And actually, I studied in Sweden, so that would interest me too. But um, these folks, uh, there was, I guess, some French people among them. And Well, actually, I know there was French people among them because we still have a couple members who were in the original founding committee. And one is just an absolutely delightful French woman. And they thought, yeah, this would be kind of interesting. And Noirmoutier being kind of special among French communities and that it is an island and it's evolved its own culture being an island, um, where they thought it would be kind of a cool thing to introduce to the community. Yeah. It, I mean, it. <clears throat> I found it interesting. I mean, getting to meet um, the people that came over when mm-hmm. I was in high school and just anytime I get an opportunity to get an interaction with, um, some of that's from a different culture, you know, where you can just kind of ex- experience that because we surround ourselves with people that are often, you know, our culture. I mean, we we get some extra here because we just have such a large military presence right. and people bring bring back spouses from other countries and they bring their cultures and things like that. So we get a, you know, a, a little bit um, of experience with that. But it was kind of cool in high school to go, you know, to get to, have that connection there and meet those people. I, I know that a group, the French was a French club. Then they, they took a trip over there when I was in, um, in school. I didn't, I didn't go cause I wasn't in the French club, nor could I afford it, but <laughs> a trip to Europe when I was in high school, but actually one of my friends went and he really enjoyed it. And, um, that, that'll, that brings me to this next thing. I know that you, you told me earlier before we started, um, that there's supposed to be a group coming here from there in October. Yeah. Yep. They have a group of 19 students who are supposed to be coming over. Uh, there, there's some talk about how much France will still be locked down. So that could affect it, in which case they'll be coming in April. So the, the nice thing is the students who would have gotten to know a French brother or sister will still be in school at the time. So they'll still be able to play hosts. Because yeah. like I said, you always stay with a host family. And uh, it's fascinating to watch the student interactions because, you know, they're... You know, 
you have us stuffy old adults, you know, who, um, you know, we email back and forth with our French friends. They are on Snapchat and Facebook and all of that. And pretty much by the time the French kid steps off the plane, the the student and his or her American host sister or brother, they know all about each other. They've been talking and FaceTiming and everything. So it's like a friendship that's now just cemented in person. That's cool. And to see the these friendships just blossoming because they know so much about each other and their the parents just sit back in amazement that the kids immediately go off and they're communicating and some are playing music together or playing video games and they know so much about each other and the parents are out there with their Google Translate trying to communicate <laughs> with the new member of their family and and we had the same thing. I don't speak French and I stayed with the host family the last time that didn't speak English. Oh, boy. <laughs> and that was fun. And actually, um, we had a young guy who was staying in the same family with me, and he spoke French, which... Okay, that was, was probably helpful for That you. was very <laughs> helpful. But it was fun to see the translations and the the big one that I still laugh about was uh, the one host's name was Noel, which is also the French word for Christmas. And the morning we were departing, my... His wife, Beatrice, who's just a fabulous cook, um, she was getting a little nervous because she had sent him to the bakery to bring back some brioche bread. And she was kind of, had been kind of a little edgy. And finally, she goes on the translator and she said, I hope Noel will not be late with the brioche. And it translates in, I hope Christmas will not be late with the bun. <laughs> <laughs> so that there's, there's this wonderful little faux pas that you make that are part of the experience of getting acclimated to a new culture and just, you know, immersing yourself into these cultures. And my, my other big mistake was a uh, different host family. I helped the hostess set the breakfast table. And at the end, she said, merci beaucoup. And I was supposed to say derrière, which means the equivalent of you're welcome. And instead, I said derrière, (laughs) (laughs) which means something very different, very (laughs) different. But, you know, you have these peals of laughter and you never make that mistake again afterwards. So, yeah. So it's it's, you know, as you as you're saying, it's very much a cultural experience. And one of the benefits for Crestview is a lot of the people from here may not travel too far outside of Northwest Florida. And, you know, so many of our students, um, we have a high level of students who are on the free lunch program, which is kind of indicative of the economy of a region or the the average family income. So they may not get to go to France, but in this case, France comes to them as you'll have actual French people staying in your home or getting involved in your uh, son or daughter's activities at school because they don't just hang out with their host brother or sister. They're, you know, they go to classes they love to watch football practice and the guys love the cheerleading practice of course and uh i mean they're french come on <laughs> and um so there, there's lots of involvement and there's lots of interesting comparing and contrasting uh between the french school system and ours I, oh yeah I'm, yeah it's yeah. european school systems and american school system is vastly different in the way they do their oh. education levels and testing and things like that yeah. so it's probably Pretty interesting. And also the activity level. They don't have organized sports in the schools, but you will play for a student youth league of the local football team or soccer team. And uh, when they see this plethora of activities that our students do after school, they're just so fascinated by this and the chance to try it out and, you know, have yeah. A, yeah. Well, and, and I'll say this. I know this from, from remembering it from ex- French class when we learned about it. 
They also don't have as many activities after school because they have a lot more homework than American they students do. do. And <laughs> school, the school day is longer. Yeah. Now, now they will go home for two hours at lunchtime, right. have their lunch at home, and then come back to school. And they don't get out till around four or five o'clock in the afternoon. So, yeah, no time for football. Yeah, I remember that. I was like, wow, they get two hours for lunch. Then my teacher was like, yeah, but then they have to come back until like five or six o'clock. And then they usually have three hours of homework when they get home. And I'm just like, mm, <laughs> no. Yeah, no, which, no. of course, in high school, I, I had a job. So, you know, and a lot of high school students do in America because that's, you know, industrialization. Yeah. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. Or not, excuse me, capitalism. Um, But anyways, I, I want to we were talking about uh, food and lunch. So I, I got to say this. I don't I don't know if Councilman Caps will be listening or if anyone remembers a few weeks ago when he was uh we were making a joke with him about whether uh they had the real potatoes at um hub city smokehouse or not for his morning home fries but you told me that uh Noirmoutier has a gourmet potato that they grow? The Noirmoutier Bonot potato is just renowned throughout the fancier restaurants, not just in France, but in Europe. And it is only grown on Noirmoutier, and it's a small ping-pong ball-sized potato that has kind of a nutty flavor. And part of that comes because the soil is so salinated, being an island. And then it is fertilized with seaweed. Okay. And uh, so coming about this time of year, actually, they will start the uh, first harvests. And when the first harvest comes in, you get a lot of these famous chefs from all over restaurants on the mainland and elsewhere in Europe. And they're lining up at the potato cooperative, bidding on the first batches that come in. And a pound of potatoes can go for almost a couple hundred dollars. Well, okay. Yeah. So so there you go, Councilman Caps or Mike <laughs> Carroll, if you're listening, uh, we'll, we'll get you a pound of potatoes for councilman caps home fries for let's say what four hundred dollars we'll cap the for the auction at four hundred dollars yeah let's let's do that yeah that'll, <laughs> that'll be the best home fries you've ever had with specialty uh, um sea salt and yep. special potatoes we'll bring some of that salt for it too well yeah yeah but then a week later the price just plummets so you can get a kilo of potatoes for like five euros so about five bucks it's, it's, yeah. they want them while they're fresh right fresh right from the harvest. Well, and they okay. want to say that they got the first harvest from normoudier yeah, and that looks good on their michelin star star menu tuck it under their arm and dash back to paris or marseille or wherever they're cooking yeah but it's it's another one of the industries and again the potato grounds are protected property too Uh, so they're very good about now plowing things over and putting up condos which may be something we could learn about i think they're Aren't they plowing some currently down in the in destin so that we can get a view of the beach again down there I would hope so. I think yeah. I, I think I remember thinking about yeah. that. That's all right. They actually they knocked down uh, some of the old condo buildings down there, and I think the city. I think it was a city project took over the beach again. Yeah, so that's that's kind of neat. But um, but they have these um, agricultural preserves. They call them set aside. They have other iconic things like they raise a donkey on the island. So you see, you don't see a lot of them, but you see these donkeys walking <laughs> around in the field and, and they're kind of native to the area. And the reason was, is they used the donkeys to help carry the salt in yeah. from the salt ponds um, to where they were stacking it up before it went to harvest. So that was a traditional thing. So a lot of people have a donkey and, you know, you cool. don't see them wandering the streets, <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, they have, um, uh, and there's a, a dark side to Noir Moutier too, that 
we didn't get into, but because of its location, it, the closest biggest city is um, Nantes, and then the next biggest city is Saint-Nazaire. And from the harbor fronts of both cities, you can see Noirmoutier on the horizon. And both of those cities, particularly Saint-Nazaire, were taken over by the German Navy. And in Saint-Nazaire, there's these incredible submarine pens that were left over from World War II. And you can't blow them up and you can't bomb them because they were made to be bomb-proof. And they do interesting adaptations for them. There's a museum in one of the pens. The other one, uh, I know they have dances and you know disco parties and stuff in you know, where the Nazis had submarines. So it's kind of interesting. But Saint-Nazaire became one of the guard posts for the the channel that leads to there. So the whole island is ringed by these German fortifications. So those of us who are World War II buffs are able to, you know, go down into bunkers and blockhouses. And um, we have a bunch of friends over there who always put on a World War II reenactment for Crestview people when we come, or they'll have a party for us or a picnic, and we get to poke through their blockhouse, which they've converted to a museum, though it has a bar on one end, which I don't think the Germans actually had there. Um, but I'll Leave that to the French. Yeah, oh, <laughs> of course, of course. And you're sitting there, though, and you you have to stop and think what this thing was built for and who lived there 75 years ago and what they were doing. And actually, Noirmoutier was a great posting if you were a German soldier because nothing happened. Yeah, so you're on an island that serves as a lookout and it's gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. so you play on the beach, you go swimming, you go into the town, and there's lots of mademoiselles. So, you know, it, it became a plum post if you were lucky enough to get it. And Yeah, but it's... You know, they can't get rid of these monoliths either. One lady took one of the um, the interior bunkers that was more in the ground, and she built her house on top of it and then built up the landscaping up to the edge of the house so you don't really notice the bunker was there. But she said the reasoning was the blockhouse made a great wine cellar. Because yeah. <laughs> it's sure yeah, it got six-foot thick country. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a steel door, I'm sure, that sills very well. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you're stuck with something that has to be a reminder of such a, you know, terrible thing, the least you can do is try to make it your own as best that you can. Yeah. And there's, you know, there uh, these were built in little fortified, they're actually small villages, you could call them, of six or seven buildings. So some of them, you know, the in the one town, the local fishermen's co-op has turned their, one of the block houses into their, not exactly a clubhouse, but a storage room for nets and maritime supplies. And another one has been turned into a restaurant. And so, you know, you see some creative reuse around the island. Cool. So they got they got some their own history, much like we do here. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, that's basically going to do it for us for time. Um, if you get an opportunity, you can check out the um, garden that we have uh, over at Twin Hills Park uh, at the side where the college is and the walk track is. Um, we have a garden there that's dedicated to our sister city, correct? We do. I forgot to mention one other prominent landmark. The city being, or the community being an island, for the longest time, the only way you could get out there was by boat. And then finally, in the early 1800s, they built a causeway on a slight underwater ridge. And twice a day, it goes underwater when the tide comes in, which is really oh, cool. something fun to okay. watch that's because cool. you can drive across it. It's four kilometers long. And one of the icons of the island are the towers every kilometer that 
you know, everybody climbs up to get a great view and take some pictures, except if you don't pay attention to the digital signs at each end of the causeway, it's called the gua, um, your car can get swamped. Cause oh, the, no. <laughs> yeah, the, the tide comes in. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. It, it comes in faster than a galloping horse, they say. And I've stood there and watched it. And um, so they put these towers so you can wade or swim and then get rescued afterwards. Yeah. Well, the time, time nor tide waits for no man. Exactly. So, you know, be, yeah. be aware of what you're doing when you're when you're out uh, anywhere where there could be tide. But well, the... I was going to say, the Sister City program, um, we have public events two or three times a year. We have picnics in the spring and fall, and uh, we actually have our spring picnic coming up. We haven't set an exact date yet, but we are on Facebook, Crestview Area Sister City Program. So keep an eye on us, and we'll post when our picnic is coming, and we welcome anybody who's interested to bring some food and join us. Yeah, it sounds like a good time. Yeah. Uh, again, Brian, thanks for stopping by and talking with me about the Sister City program. My pleasure. And maybe, possibly, when um, some of them come to visit, we can get one of them on and we love that. Have, oh, a, yeah. have another one of these episodes. Okay, uh, as always, Chris, you thanks for listening, and uh, have a good one. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Civic View. You can hear new episodes every Friday on Spotify, Pandora, Amazon, Audible, Podbean, iHeartRadio, and on our website at www.cityofcrestview.org. Civic View is a public affairs program produced and recorded right here at City Hall and is also featured Saturday mornings at 7 a.m. on WAAZ-FM and WJSB-AM. Our music is recorded, produced, and performed by Scott Holmes, and you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at City of Crestview. And with that, I'll say be safe, Crestview, and I'll catch you next time.